0: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Well, thank you kindly and welcome. Good to have you with us on this Thursday, the 14th day of October. Craig Roberts with you, keeping you company as we do Evenings here from seven, uh, 5 to 7 to make sure. Well, it's 7 o'clock Central Time for our listeners in the, uh, in the, and in the Mountain Range. No, no. 5 to 7, Monday through Friday. That's indeed when we are here. And uh, tonight, of course, taking you up until 7 p.m., let's talk about special guests will include Reverend Walter Hoy. He's going to drop in for a visit. He's going to be speaking at a special event Coming up in early November on behalf of Real Option. So we'll get a little bit of an update from Reverend Walter Hoy. Also, Pastor Keith Crosby is going to drop by. He, of course, speaker on Grace to Live Radio, heard in the evenings following this program. And of course, senior pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose. We'll talk a bit about post COVID church, many of the challenges being faced not only here in San Francisco Bay Area, but in churches across the globe. That conversation coming up later on in this first hour. I want to get you an update. It's kind of fallen out of the news in recent days, but don't believe because it's not making the 6 o'clock news that it does not continue to be a major issue. And that, of course, is what's been transpiring in Afghanistan since the so-called U.S. withdrawal. Well, over the weekend, with not much fanfare, U.S. officials met face-to-face for the first time with Taliban leaders. The U.S. delegation met representatives in Qatar, and the first real talks since American forces withdrew in August, as I mentioned a moment ago, State Department spokesman Ned Price said the two sides discussed terrorism concerns, that's a hoot, human rights, and quote, continued safe passage out of Afghanistan for U.S. nationals. I guess one of the overwhelming questions is, how did we get into this quagmire? And why don't we seemingly ever learn? And I want to be clear, our U.S. military did not let us down. They rarely ever do. But I think we let our own U.S. military down. Joining me with some insights is Scott Husing. Scott is the author of Echo in Ramadi, the firsthand story of U.S. Marines in Iraq's deadliest city, published by Regnery Press. Scott dedicated some 24 years of service in the United States Marine Corps. He was an infantry major there. His career spanned some 10 deployments across operations in 60 different countries. And Scott, good to have you with us. Semper Fi. Hey, Semper Fi. Thanks for having me on the show. Let's talk a bit about this. You bring some unique perspective because you've been there, you've seen it, you know what's going on in that part of the world. We know certainly that probably the withdrawal under any administration at any time was not going to go along picture perfect. It was not going to be a let's go in, bomb the living daylights out of Germany, create the Marshall Plan, rebuild Europe – and, uh, and restore freedom, it probably wasn't going to end that well. But I guess the overwhelming question at this point is, did it have to end that badly?
2: Well, I think you're lighting candles in my church with a couple of things you just said. One is you're absolutely correct. The, the Marines and soldiers and everybody who served in Afghanistan, they did not lose. They were let down not by one, not two, not three, but four presidencies. They are the ones that failed at the outset of this invasion, which, which had to be taken care of. There were some bad guys in Afghanistan. We knew we were there. We knew how to root them out, but they weren't given the tools or the timeline or, most importantly, a definition of what winning is. That was never clearly defined. And the second thing that you you mentioned was the word withdrawal. And after last month's events of this, uh, of when we had to use terms, tactical terms, like evacuation or exfiltration, it should have never come to that. We should have been using that word time-phase withdrawal. That's a military tactical term that key planners at every level, from the strategic level all the way down to the tactical level, the guys on the ground, understand that. And because we had to rush to this hasten timeline that was self-imposed, that's what really created a lot of the friction and, and the loss of life that we saw as we, we had the evacuation unfold so poorly. Uh, and That's what it turned into. But lastly, what you said about history. And one of the key things that we have failed at in this war in Afghanistan is that we have not been good stewards of our history. And the blame is equal on both sides, both militarily and administratively, in the sense that We learned after the invasion and occupation of the Pacific Theater and in the European Theater that we had to leave some sort of footprint behind, some presence, and that's what we did in Germany, in Japan, and we stayed around, we stayed the course knowing that things like democracy take time, but Americans are so impatient. We want fast food, we want fast cell service, we want fast democracy. But those things often take decades. But at the outset, again, not defining what winning was and what the actual goal was and how that is ultimately going to enable and bolster our American national security is, uh, is the one thing that my you know, the veteran tribe that I run around with now, we're really concerned about that because we don't sit around and cry in our beer and say, oh, woe is me, all the blood we spilled was for naught, all the treasure we spent, because at the end of the day... When we're kicking indoors and killing bad guys, we're doing it to survive on the battlefield. And we're doing it to take care of those Marines and soldiers on our left and right.
1: I, I'm curious from your perspective. I mean, we, we try to almost treat this, at least the mainstream media does, as singularly a military operation that went off the rails, whatever. Uh, but it would seem to me that, as you've alluded to a moment ago, it's so much bigger than that. I mean, it's one thing to win the war, but if you're going to keep the peace, you got to win the hearts. We succeeded in doing that in Japan, in Germany, in Italy, on the heels of the Second World War. And that's the reason why these countries have continued to flourish as democracies all these decades later. Did we fail in that arena, in, in winning the hearts of the Afghan people? Is that one of the reasons that contributed to what we're seeing unfold there now?
2: Uh, no, we, we didn't fail in that regard. I think that when I, I came out of, of my shell and started talking about this, because I'll be honest with you, I sat on my hands for a, a, a couple of days until a few good friends of mine, like you, reached out and said, hey, we, we talk about your experience, we, we share your perspectives. And I said, yeah, it's time. It, we did We did make a difference. We absolutely influenced the entire culture of people at war from 20 years, two decades in that country to think that here's an entire culture, here's an entire generation that went from knowing nothing but being surrounded by war to now that females get to go to school. Now we're influencing 50% of the entire population in a positive way. And despite our our withdrawal and the the Taliban takeover, which is shameful that we allow that to happen, is I think that we can be proud of the fact that we we did inspire a lot of people. We did give them an example of what right looks like. And I hope that someday in in the very near future, there'll be leaders in Afghanistan. There are plenty of brave Afghan people that may take up against the Taliban and, and, and really create their own democracy, not American democracy, not French democracy. Not, there's only one flavor. It's just democracy. And we really wanted to try and jam that down the throats of a completely different culture, which is another real sticking point, a real, I don't even want to categorize it as a failure, but we have a tough time about learning culture and understanding what they want. I don't think our administrative leaders or, or senior military leaders really understood that about what, what did the Afghan people want? Well we know what, and what and really asking ourselves the question as Americans, what do we want out of this war? I don't think those questions were ever answered. If they were if they were asked it was in closed doors and it wasn't really widely publicized, especially in the mainstream media to the public. So that's where we find ourselves really begging those questions today and, and we look at the results in the, the wake of this war and what's happening now i mean pakistan is closing down airline flights and those who were you know reportedly at these peace talks uh you know being able to to leave afghanistan if they wanted to their own they can't even do it those mechanisms that infrastructure is non-existent over there and they're just not going to be able to and now we've got small pockets of world you know leaders and 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 american citizens and former military they're they're scrambling to try and get all these afghan citizens out and i think to myself i scratch my head a little bit they're, they're raising a lot of money to do this but at the end of the day also after 20 years man if you can't figure out what right looks like there's a there's a deeper cultural issue that maybe just hadn't taken seed, even after after 20 years.
1: Well, and the sad thing, too, Scott, is that you're going to wind up with a significant brain drain in that country because everybody recognizing what happened under the Taliban the last time around <coughs> will be eager to get out of Dodge, as the saying goes. And so who does that leave behind in terms of qualified leadership of any sort, not to mention the amount of Cash that they will attempt through whatever means to bring out with them, and you look at the destabilization of the country, not just from a military standpoint, not just from a political standpoint, but from an economic standpoint. And I've got to ask myself the question: You know, when you go into a war, the 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 terms of engagement are not always clearly defined. You know, somebody shot at you; you're shooting back to defend yourself. We're going to figure out how all this sort of uh, unravels and then and then unwinds later on down the road, but when you've spent two decades there, and at the end of two decades, you haven't figured that out, and then when you extract, you find out that the infrastructure was so fragile, it's as if we went in Tuesday and and withdrew on Thursday by the looks of things. And I think it's pretty frightening that there has been, and you know what? Scott Husing said right on the money. We did not have a clear plan. And there were failures, not of the United States military. You give them a job, you give them the tools, they get the job done. But when you don't define what that job is, or the terms of engagement keep changing, by the end you wind up with what we're here, what we're facing now. Four failed presidencies that never really properly, totally dealt with this or came up with a clear agenda as to how we would leave. And I like the fact that Scott pointed out, and not to go over there and create American democracy. Heck, we're seeing how challenged American democracy is on American soil these days. But to allow the Afghan people a vote as to what they want. And sadly, it seems as if that was... A last-minute consideration, if ever a consideration at all. The book that I referred to, Echo in Ramadi, the firsthand story of U.S. Marines in Iraq's deadliest city, published by Regnery Press, same fine folks that own this radio station. And we invite you to check out Scott Husing's book. Scott, we appreciate so much your time. Information, by the way, on the web at echoinramadi.com. That's echoinramadi.com. And there is... Major Scott Husing retired United States Marine Corps. 516 from KFAX.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right back to the conversation 521 here on this Thursday Thursday that's not right today's Wednesday today's Thursday. I'm confused. <laughs> want to remind you coming up later on tonight in the six o'clock hour is going to be our next installment of Church of the Week. We brought that feature back. We missed doing that. And uh, we had to get kind of our ducks in a row here, but we've got that feature back. And uh, so we're doing it now every Thursday at 6 p.m. We get a chance to talk with uh, pastors from throughout the San Francisco Bay Area. And then, of course, on Sundays, we feature a little bit of that uh, conversation, that interview, and then a full sermon Coming up tomorrow night at 6 p.m., it's going to be, see if I can do this from memory, Pastor Vince Taylor from Faith Fellowship of San Leandro. And then he'll be featured, his sermon and part of that conversation will be featured this coming Sunday at 12 noon on Church of the Week. So check it out, tune in for that. Again, tomorrow night at 6, Sunday at 12 noon, and that's each and every week right here on AM 1100 KFAX. Well, the Bible says you should be <laughs> instant in season and out of season. I'm not sure which season this is, uh, but we're we're going to roll with the punches here this evening. Uh, we've talked about this off and on since the pandemic began, my goodness, well over 18, 19, almost 20 months ago. And that is the impact that not only was the nation feeling, individuals certainly, challenges on families, the whole world really has been impacted by this. But of greatest concern to us, certainly on this program, is the ways in which the church has been challenged by COVID. And while to be sure, according to some of the research out there, there has been a a, a marked decline in church attendance. Some estimate that from the pre-COVID levels, we've seen anywhere between 20 to as much as 30 percent on average church attendance decline. But maybe this is an opportunity in the midst of all of that to do some reevaluation kind of take our temperature and ask, where have we been? Where are we headed? And most importantly, are we headed in the same direction that God is? And don't think just because the uh, the pulpit committee or the, the board of deacons agreed that it's necessarily what God wants. Sometimes we need to step aside from ourselves and listen really closely. Let's get some insights on this topic. Pastor Keith Crosby joins us, lead pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose. He's host of Grace to Live Radio heard weekday evenings at 7 p.m. here on KFAX and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. And Pastor Crosby, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Well, thanks for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. It's all mine. It's amazing the way this works, isn't it? You don't hear from us for weeks and months on end, and then suddenly we call twice in, in one week. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> but not, not to suggest that you haven't been on our, on our favorite pastor list. You're always there, and I believe certainly many of our listeners that have come to appreciate your heart and your pulpit ministry feel the same way. But I, I do count it an honor to spend a little bit more time with you, and I'll, I'll kind of um, pull back the curtain. And for listeners, Pastor Crosby is going to be coming up as one of our featured churches of the week as well. So you'll look forward to that. Meanwhile, we're going to look forward to our conversation tonight. And I want to spend a little time talking about the challenges that the church has faced in this post-COVID environment and and whether or not we're, we're really sort of learning from the lessons that we can pull out of all of this. And I suppose in one sense, um, you know, when you go through a tragedy of whatever sort it might be within your work life, your personal life, or in the life of the church, an opportunity to to refocus and really focus in on what God wants maybe can be some of the, the greatest silver lining behind all this.
3: Well, it is, you know. In First Peter 5, we're told to shepherd the flock of God, and we're told to do so uh, willingly, not under compulsion, you know, but, but, and as an example to the flock, and I think, I think as church leadership, and I think as the church of Jesus Christ, um, one of the things that's important is the emphasis on taking care of the people. You can never lose sight of that. We are to preach the word in season and out of season, but the church is, is made up of people, and the church isn't a building, it's people. And I think the important lesson that we learned from the COVID experience was the, the primacy of uh, taking care of people, second only to, of course, preaching God's word faithfully.
1: And, you know, I, I want to maybe talk about one of the big challenges that I think is, you know, perennially a challenge before the church. We're, we're called to make disciples, and the evangelism component of church life, sadly, oftentimes, there's a lot of folks in the pews that kind of think that, well, that's clearly pastor's job. After all, he has his doctorate, he has a degree, he went to seminary, he studied, He's the expert in such matters. Me, I go to church, I support what the church does, I'll share my 10% um, of my income in the offering plate. But that whole evangelism business, we're going to leave that up to the pros. Is that a massive barrier for the church's ability to succeed and impact the world around us? I think it
3: can be. But as long as the church holds fast to the Word of God, you know, Ephesians 4 talks about equipping the saints for the works of ministry, for the works of service. And you know, Jesus gave the Great Commission not just to elders or, or, or pastors, he gave it to everybody, go make disciples, tell about Jesus, you know, Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses. It's not just a, a statement of fact, it's, it's pretty much a command, it's an emphatic, and he's speaking to all the disciples whether it's somebody like me who's engaged in full-time vocational ministry, or whether it is the person in the pew. This is this is all of our responsibilities. Regardless of our gift set, God left us here. He raised us up for such a time as this, and that is to advance his kingdom by spreading the gospel.
1: And in doing so, of course, as you point out, it requires proper equipping. And I suppose in some respects, maybe a reevaluation of our attitudes. Sometimes I find that believers tend to see Christianity as, uh, how should we say it, more of a spectator sport. Than something in which they participate in, as I alluded to a moment ago. You know, we we love when the pros get on the football field; they get there on the gridiron and do their thing. We like to, you know, Monday morning quarterback and cheer them on and criticize the uh, the coach if it's a bad play, or go after the referee if we're not happy with the results of a call. Not recognizing that when it comes to this, yes, we've all got differing responsibilities and abilities within the body of Christ, but this notion of of being in service to the Lord and making disciples is something that all of us can and should be participating in. But sadly, as I point out, there's a good percentage of believers that seem to be more content in watching church happen as opposed to making it happen.
3: Well, and you touched on something. Many people view it as a spectator sport, but Christianity is a team sport. And not not to turn our back on American football, but it's more like soccer where everybody gets gets to touch the ball in a game. And so we all have a role to play. We all have different gifts and abilities. We might play different positions, but it is definitely a team sport, and it's definitely not a sport that you watch passively. You engage in actively. That is Christ's call, Christ's command to all of us.
1: There is an interesting article, I think it was in Christianity Today that I read, that kind of walks through um, six observations related to the decline in church attendance post-COVID and the fact that while we have seen a pretty significant recovery, that recovery certainly in terms of people in the pews has not returned back to the pre-COVID levels, and some suggest that it may never Let's talk about that when we come back after a time out. Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, is with us. He's host on Grace to Live Radio. Heard weekday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. And you can get more information about the broadcast by going to gracetoliveradio.org. That's gracetoliveradio.org. We'll take a time out, get you updated on traffic. We'll return with more of our conversation with Pastor Keith Crosby as Lifeline continues.
0: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right, back to the conversation. 5.35 here on this Thursday edition of Lifeline. And we continue our conversation. Pastor Keith Crosby is with us, lead pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose. He's also host on Grace to Live Radio. Heard each Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. here on KFAX. There's also a special Sunday morning broadcast at 10 a.m. More information available on the web at Grace to Live That's Grace to Live There was an interesting article pastor and it was it was either in leadership magazine or christianity today and i apologize for not making the notation but the the gist of the article i think is the important uh, aspect to to a, pertinent to our conversation tonight they listed what they consider to be the six top reasons why as we're seeing the deployment of uh, a vaccine and a reduction in COVID, folks going back to church now, but yet looking at the fact that many churches, not all, but many churches still experiencing anywhere between a 20 to 30% decline yet today from pre-COVID levels, they listed six reasons, and I want to just run through this laundry list and have you comment on them. I'd be fascinated, and I'm sure listeners would too, to, to get your your insights. The first of the six, and I think particularly for, for older believers, maybe this is sort of an obvious one, and that is just a sense of, of COVID fears, that there's some hesitancy to get back in if they have been sort of cocooned in their own home and, and separated from large crowds. Maybe they've got, you know, because of age or a compromise immune system, just a little bit nervous about heading back into church. and are there things that we can in the church be doing to help ease some of those concerns? I, th- I think
3: I think we can. And you know an older an older person uh, or somebody with comorbidities, it's understandable they would be hesitant. Now we're back in we're, what we, we used to run two services, we now run three and we spread people out more. and that way there's still the social distancing and we do that for the sake of our older saints and others who just aren't yet comfortable and we we do everything we can to accommodate them and to make them feel safe the other thing that we do of course and other churches do it as well as we live stream and that way at nine and eleven you can watch the service online but i think those are the two uh, biggest uh, uh, precautions or helps that we can do for people i think we need to understand that people are concerned And we need to treat those concerns with respect and do everything we can to remove any stumbling block from their path.
1: Another point that was brought up in this article that I – and it's interesting. It made me think there's a there's a, a medication uh, commercial out there for folks dealing with arthritis. And, and it refers to the notion that a body in motion stays in motion and a body that stops has a difficult time getting started again. And, you know, any of us over the age of 50 trying to get out of bed in the morning can relate to that. But the notion that inertia – that sudden halting in what had been the forward motion, the the weekly movement. We go to church. We go to work. We do this. We do that. This is what we do as a matter of habit. And then suddenly, we're no longer doing many of those things. And suddenly, now we're we're in our house and we get comfy, spending our days and our evenings in you know our our you know fuzzy bunny slippers and warm up pants and so forth. And then to think, for some folks, gee, on a Sunday morning, I got to get showered, shaved, cleaned up, dressed up, ready to go to church. Boy, that becomes difficult. Do you think one of the reasons why we've seen this drop is just from a sense of inertia? I do,
3: but I think if we if we drill down a little bit deeper, what is the cause of that inertia? It could be a lack of understanding of what worship is, what the church is. You know, Hebrews 10:24 and 25 speaks of the the eleventh commandment that you shall attend church that you're not to neglect the assembling of ourselves together but would it be there as a church family as christians to stimulate and encourage one another to love and to good works i think sometimes people think you know you can just watch it on tv or listen to a a a podcast later or recording so i think there's a, a lack of understanding there which probably speaks to a lack of good teaching as well i think there's another factor that's involved there with the inertia question and that is spiritual condition there i believe that this pandemic is is good and bad in a number of ways it's bad obviously that it disrupted everything in our lives i guess but good in that it is separating the wheat from the tares the sheep from the goats there are believers and then there are professing believers and Mm. i think this was an opportunity for many professing believers to have a good excuse to step away from the from church maybe they've been going to church all their lives maybe they inherited a christian culture an outward or christian exterior from their families or parents and this is their chance to step back and then i think a third reason is spiritual immaturity you know uh it this you know we talked about in the in the past you know in the 80s it was the me generation or whatever and i think people forget that we are slaves of christ that we wor- we church is a place where we worship God. We worship God every day with our lips and our lives, but too many people forget or neglect the corporate worship service. And they call it a service for a reason because we're there to serve God and to serve others. And I think that's part of
1: it. If I didn't know better, I would think that you had a camera over my shoulder <laughs> looking at the notes because the the third item and you've just kind of done the setup Pastor Crosby perfectly, and that is this notion of weak attachment, meaning folks that go to church, maybe they've done it dutifully, maybe they've done it dutifully for years, but the sense of why I go and and what I gain from going and my involvement in the community experience of church, and it kind of goes back to our conversation earlier of, you know, are we in the game or are we just simply spectators, that maybe some folks – just never really got that deeply connected to the life of the church, and as a result, with that weak attachment, on a Sunday morning, it's easy to say, "Yeah, I'm not so sure about this," and roll around and go back to sleep.
3: Yeah, you know, here's the thing, and and again, it it speaks to being self oriented. Uh, you know, is your worship is your worship self centric, self centered? Uh, Man-centered or is it Christ-centered? And so we go to church to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. That's we we go there as an act of obedience, of an act of loyal love, and that attachment issue could speak to a larger spiritual issue. Or somebody maybe isn't mature, maybe they're not well taught, or maybe they know about God but they don't know God, and so God isn't a priority, and so they stay home, and eventually. They wash the dishes while they watch the church service, and eventually they just don't watch the church service. They're folding clothes or doing something else.
1: And, you know, that that speaks to another issue that, that's constantly a concern of mine, and, and we've seen this certainly within certain segments of the so-called emergent church, seeker-sensitive churches even to a great degree, and that is this notion of sort of a, a consumer Christianity. And, and by that I mean, you know, when you think of consumerism, uh, the way that the goods are manufactured, brought to market, uh, distributed, all of that, it, it's all about the sense of satisfaction for the consumer. How will this product make you happier, healthier, more attractive to others, make life easier? All very consumer-centric in terms of what it's all about and how the message is communicated. And yet, within true practical biblical Christianity, um, the 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 notion of my own personal self satisfaction is is not the focus, but rather Christ is the focus, and who our relationship is with God, and 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 what that relationship looks like, and how it's growing and being nurtured, and so forth. So may, maybe part of the notion here too is that some folks perhaps reevaluated. And said, "Yeah, you know, it's just not—it's not, it's not it's, you know, tickling the the itch, <laughs> as yeah. the saying goes anymore. I, I, is this maybe an unfortunate byproduct of an overemphasis on what I call this this consumer brand of Christianity?
3: I think it is. I think a lot of times we—not we, but some churches—you know—sell people on the idea that you know, health, wealth, and prosperity. Come to church, things are going to work out all right. Come to church and be a happier person." But, you know, Jesus Christ taught in Matthew sixteen twenty four, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And I think it's in Luke 10 where Luke quotes Jesus, and, and the word daily is inserted. And so, you know, worship is an act of sacrifice. It's, it's about God. It's not about us. And it's this consumerist, what it, what's-in-it-for-me thing that I think is going to be the death of churches, that haven't responsibly opened up the Scriptures and exposed their people to the mind of God.
1: Yeah, and, and there's so much joy to be engaged in a community where you have a sense of, of being, where you have a sense of being needed, and a sense of giving, whether that's giving worship to God, giving to one another, that the focus is not centric on me, that the universe revolves around me, but rather that there's a different focus. And sadly, sometimes we get so caught up in making sure that my needs are being met and my itch is being scratched that there's never an opportunity to really experience the true satisfaction of giving towards others and, most importantly, of giving of oneself back to God. Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor at Hillside Church of San Jose with us tonight, speaker on Grace to Live Radio, rolls your way every Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX, Sunday mornings at 10. We invite you to uh, tune in for that. Information available on the web at gracetoliveradio.org. We're not done with our list. We're going to continue to walk through these six reasons why... The church is facing some challenges in a post-COVID environment, and most importantly, what we can do to change that direction. Our conversation with lead pastor from Hillside Church of San Jose, Keith Crosby, continues after this.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You
1: know, I was thinking here during the break, we were waiting to get back to our conversation with Pastor Crosby, how that on this list we've been discussing that um, uh, item number three is a lot like – or or, or a companion of item number four, uh, the notion of church swapping. And I think demonstrative of the idea that some people who don't have an attachment to the community life of their church – makes it easier you know the entertainment's a little bit better over here the music is better the pews are softer the air conditioning's not as cold the pastor's more eloquent whatever it might be and folks just decide we're going to try something a little bit different now there may be compelling reasons we need a church that's closer in things of that sort I, i i get that but i suppose uh pastor crosby that that may be a factor as well some folks that again without a very strong attachment just decide yeah let's go shopping see what else is out there
3: Well, you remember there was a fast-food commercial years ago that used to say, have it your way. Uh, Yes. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's that consumer mentality. Well, I I think I want a different burger. And there are times where there may be good reasons, and I think you just, you know, name a few of them, Uh, but sometimes it's just that they want something bright and shiny, They like bright, shiny objects. And so this church is, you know, made up of good believers, and they don't have all the bells and whistles, but they're... Loving God and serving their community and serving Christ, and this church over here is is more fun to watch and I think uh, that again speaks to a level of maturity, and again it speaks to the consumer mentality
1: yeah and that and that ties into and I'm going to flip this notion of the consumer mentality on its head for a moment because the the fifth out of the sixth on this list here is no value added and some people might hear that and think, oh. Craig, clearly, you're talking then about this consumer approach to to Christianity. No, not really. I think in this case, it's the understanding that there's so much more to church than just showing up and sitting in a pew with a bunch of strangers for an hour, hour and a half every Sunday morning. But if people don't see that, don't experience that, don't partake in that, either because they've not taken a deep enough breath to stay around long enough to do so, or maybe the church is a bit dysfunctional and and does not help people understand all the ways in which the church is not just a thing that you do on Sundays, but something that we are, or at least should be. And I wonder, Pastor Crosby, from your perspective, do you think that's true sometimes, that, that some churches kind of get, you know, uh, stuck in a rut, I'll call it, and don't really help folks fully understand how broad and deep this experience, this part of life really can and should be. You know, I I think
3: you're right. I think that's part of it. I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here. I think if we put on our, uh, our, you know, those little glasses, you can look at a piece of paper and you see writing that's not there. I think there with number six is also the idea that God is pruning certain churches um, that, because either they've lost their mission or they've become distracted by other things and they have stopped teaching the Word and equipping the saints and discipling people, that um, God is going to allow people to leave there and find a church, because of the pandemic, maybe, that will teach... And, and disciple and equip, you know, them and their children. I think, uh, I think you're going to see churches die during this pandemic for two reasons. One is because maybe they had lost people already due to the high cost of living in California or, or whatever. But you're going to also see churches wither and die because they haven't been faithful to their calling. And that might be the value added perspective there. They have, they may be closed too quickly reopened too slowly, and they uh, you know, they lost sight of their reason for being. And so the Lord is pruning them, and some people are leaving those churches and going to other churches where there is a sense of community. There is a, an excitement about evangelism. There is a, a desire to be discipled and to grow in, in the grace and knowledge of our good God, and where the Word is preached faithfully week in and week out. And I think... You're going to see some of these other churches that were uh you know a mile wide and an inch deep uh, you're going to see them begin to wither and die and lose people and it's probably not a popular thing to say but i think the pandemic has been good for that reason that god used it to take these churches where there wasn't that commitment and to uh and to to prune and to prune uh and to winnow them you know it says in uh, john 15 that You know, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And you know, I desire that you bear much fruit, and that your fruit remains. And the vines that don't bear, they're cut off and thrown into fire and burned up. And I think you're going to see some churches die and lose people because they haven't been faithful. They've lost their mission. I think that's.
1: And you know, so many of us in this pandemic have reevaluated life. Maybe be. Learn to reprioritize, learn to better understand how fragile life really is. And as you were talking, I wrote down on my notes here Church at Laodicea. <laughs> yeah and i think that that's part of this that 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 awakening that some have saying you know what are we doing here and what is this church doing and do we need to perhaps consider making a change because god is doing some pruning and he's in that business and you know what that's not a bad thing i mean you, you want you want the fruit tree to grow tall and produce much fruit you got to prune it back every now and then and and maybe you're you you know you you just really hit the nail on the head here that there may be some comparisons where some of these churches are going through their own personal Laodicean period.
3: Yeah, yeah, and sometimes, sometimes that can be fatal. Sometimes they wake up, you know? You know, it, when you go through the letter of the seven churches, and he talks to each of these churches, only two get a passing grade, and five, you know, are flunked. But he always says to them, repent and return to the works you did in the beginning. Whether it's the church at Ephesus, or whether it's the church at Laodicea, you know, he, he says that, and he, he wants them to change.
1: And, you know, that brings us to the final point, and and I think the two really dovetail one into the other, and that is this notion of the church just simply having no Jesus. I know people say, wait a minute, Greg, how, how can that be? But so often, and we've kind of alluded to this throughout our dialogue tonight, that there can be a drifting away, that it's more... You know, focus on performance, entertainment, making people feel good, you know, teachers, you know, looking for for teachers that will help scratch their ears or those with itching ears looking for the teacher to scratch that (laughs) that itch. And and as a result, sadly, sometimes the very purpose of of what we are doing and who we are gets pushed by the side, and suddenly some folks may wake up one day and realize, you know, the only thing missing from this church, and it's not, you know, a better potluck on Sundays (laughs) or, or, you know, a new piano or organ, it's that Jesus just doesn't seem to be welcome here.
3: No, that's it. You know, you start to see it where people don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to talk about repentance, you know you see it where churches embrace social action and they minimize the gospel you know and and now, and I don't I don't want to be misunderstood uh, when we when we preach the gospel we do care for people who are in difficult situations but what you see now is it's almost an inversion of that where it's Christ the second social action third or you know nowadays critical race theory and all those sorts of things and ideology and uh, doing things that make me feel good about myself, by, you know, uh, basically begin to obscure and occlude the gospel.
1: Some important insights and critical questions that we all need to be asking of ourselves in this somewhat post-COVID pandemic church that we are in. And I appreciate so much, Pastor Keith Crosby, for carving out some time to be with us this evening. As I mentioned, he's going to be featured in an upcoming edition of Church of the Week. Meanwhile, we want you to make an effort to stay tuned an hour from now to be able to enjoy his daily broadcast, Grace to Live Radio. You can find more information on the web at gracetoliveradio.org. That's gracetoliveradio.org. He also pastors right here in the San Francisco Bay Area at Hillside Church We invite you to uh, get more information. If you're new to the San Francisco Bay Area looking for a church home, then uh, why not drop by? I think you'll be very, very encouraged at what you see and experience. Information about Hillside on the web at hillside.org. And our thanks to Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor at Hillside Church of San Jose, for offering some time and some insights on this edition of Lifeline. 601, let's get you updated on some traffic here, shall we?